think they're excited at all. Um, it's almost like school starting back this next week. Is that what it feels like right now? Did I just suck the wind out of the room for teachers and students? Like, parents are excited, I can tell you right now about that. I know I'm excited for my kids to go back to school. Um, even got my front row cheering section right here. I like that. You guys are excited, right? Going to heckle me up front. Where, where was that earlier, man? What's going on here? Uh, hey, excited. We are wrapping up our, our series today on On Mission. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter 16. You can turn there. Uh, we've been challenging the church and just thinking themselves as missionaries, and we'll, we'll get to more of that here in a bit. Um, this week, as we kind of jump in, I have to ask this question just to kind of get you in the frame of mind, kind of be thinking some stuff, just with a person next to you real quick, a little, little, little group discussion to get you woken up. Let's do that right here. What's the greatest gift you've ever received? Now, don't say Jesus, okay? We're going to take that one off the table, get to church, because once you do that, the other person like, I can't respond to anything else, and don't say my kids or my spouse, okay? That's a given. Let's just say that. If it's not, it should be a given, and you're going to pretend like you said it anyways. Beyond that, what's the greatest gift you've ever received? Take a second and answer that with the person next to you. Greatest gift you've ever received. South America. Uh, just wait till we talk tomorrow, Josiah. Some of you are upset because I just stole your quick answers and you have no idea what to say right now. Keep going, but some of you look a little nervous, like you should have given an answer, you shouldn't have, so I'll jump in real quick and share my story. For me, there's been a lot of great gifts I've received, but one I know that was extremely memorable, uh, came on my 16th birthday, you can imagine what it is, came back from Super Summer, uh, week-long church camp, and all my church friends came over and stuff, and we were exhausted, I didn't know my mom had thrown a surprise birthday party for me and stuff, and uh, come inside, open uh, this one little box gift, and there's a set of keys and on the keys is a Mustang emblem, and I'd always wanted an old Mustang, and went outside, and my parents had gotten me a, uh, a 66 Ford Mustang, which sounds cool if it ran, <laughs> um, but it was my, I've always dreamed of that, man, it was my dream car, I remember being so excited, I remember that, like the next week, I'd just go sit in my car, just excited of having this, this, this car, and I mean, just the, the, the joy I had. And let me ask you another question. There's another one for group talk, okay? What's, what's the greatest gift you've ever given? What's the one that you are most excited? Maybe you ruined it. You couldn't even make it to the day you were so excited to give this gift. Can you think of one real quick? The greatest gift you've ever given. Maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Uh, for me, one, one of my greatest was actually uh, Emily and I's second Valentine. We were dating in high school. We dated all through high school. I say second because the first one 
Uh, I was not good boyfriend material. I didn't know you're supposed to give stuff for Valentine's Day. And so I told my mom I forgot something. She went to Walmart, bought a locket, put our picture into it, and I gave it to her. And it wasn't until years later I told her, I didn't really think my mom got that for you. Uh, didn't do it at the moment. I took all the victory out of whatever it was. But the second Valentine's Day, uh, I knew that I need to step up my game. And so I went to go uh, get her something. I didn't have any money. Cashed out my piggy bank. Went down to our bank at Arvis, which is off of, uh, I think, Check Hall and Wilshire, not those two intersections. Anyways, went to go cash in my piggy, piggy bank and got like $23.15, man. I was so excited. I didn't know all that, man. I, and so I'm driving down to Wilshire to go to Walmart. I'm calling my mom on the phone. I'm like, Mom, I had $23.15 in pennies. I'm going to Walmart to get Emily something special. And I was so excited as I'm driving, completely lose facts of the fact I'm driving a car. And then I'm driving through a construction zone, 20 miles over the speed limit, to which caught my attention when a police officer pulled me over. And when I shared my sob story, he says, oh, I believe you, and wrote me a ticket, to which we spent the next several months trying to get taken care of in court and stuff like that. But I did go to Walmart, bought her a stuffed bear, sprayed with my cologne, because she did, so, it had, so she knew it was from me, you know what I mean? She liked it, don't judge, don't laugh, she, she loved that, okay? And got a bunch of rose petals and Hershey Kisses, went to her house and, and, and put it in her room and stuff. I asked her parents, her dad got freaked out because I put it on just her bed. And I was like, there's no hidden message in that. It's just, that's all that it would cover because I was broke. That's all I could afford. But I remember being so excited because uh, that was like one of the first things completely from me for her like that. Um, just the joy that came from it. The, the real question is this, is which one was better? And you don't have to discuss that. I just want you to think about that. There's joy in receiving the amazing gift you've always wanted, but, but there's a different kind of joy in giving a gift that you've always wanted to give, right? I, I mean, there's almost on par the excitement, the joy, the celebration that comes with those things, you get both. Giving a gift, I would say, maybe brings just as much joy as receiving. I share this because we've been in this series called uh, On Mission, and it fits into our mission vision statement that we, you just saw a little while ago. These uh, few months, we, our focus is how do we multiply the church? And we believe multiplying the church comes through sharing the gospel and leading more people to Christ. And that doesn't happen unless you do it, you start speaking. A lot of times people think, well, that's just what our ministry staff has done. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It says you're called to do this. And the reality is what would it look like if we started being intentional? And the whole idea of on mission is this, is what would it look like if we started thinking of our present context of settings as us being uh, missionaries right here, right now. God has strategically placed you around people, whether it be at work, through your home life, through your family, that you have an influence and you have an opportunity. And if you would just take the opportunity and tell them about Christ, you might be amazed at how they would respond. As excited as it was for you to receive Christ and your life forever change, what would it be like to give that gift back to someone else and change their life? Last week I got to share, uh, my lady who led me to Christ came. And the tears of joy of just seeing what God had done in me and just being able to do that. And she, it's just, there's a joy of sharing your faith with someone. It's amazing how many people, I can promise you in this room, have never done that and have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you this, you are missing out. And so it's important we do it. And so each week we've been going through different things. So the first week was um, talking about seeing. Are you seeing people that you could potentially reach? Do you look at the people next to you that you live with and think, man, this is a person I could tell about Jesus? Do you serve them? Can you find a way to meet their practical needs so maybe you can find a way to just share the gospel? You can earn the right in their life. Do you share? That's what we talked about last week. You have a story that God has done in your life. Share that. Have you told them? But this week is one of the most important that many of us don't ever cross this threshold. It's this. It's saved. 
We save them by sharing the gospel. I mean, I honestly ask you, I don't want to put hands up because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But how many of you have never shared the gospel with someone in your life? Even more so than many of this, how many of you can't even articulate the gospel? If someone asks you, what does it mean to be saved? How do I become saved? What, what is the gospel? Would you just kind of blink your eyes in a blank stare and miss out on the greatest gift you could give? And so today I want to talk about that. And when I say gospel, you don't understand what that means. The word gospel comes from it means it means good news. It's the good news of the Bible. It's the synopsis of what this is all about. It's about that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. All the problems we have, all the, the brokenness we have comes as a result of sin, and Jesus came to save us from that. And it's a free gift for all mankind if you would just choose to receive. And today I want you to look at an example of what I'm looking at today in Acts chapter 16. We'll start in verse 25 as we look at the story of a jailer's salvation. Now, now to set up what's going on here, just before it, you have Paul and Timothy who are traveling around, and they're actually in a place called Troas. And they go and they begin evangelizing, and they begin sharing the gospel, and people are getting saved. To the point in verse 16, you have this weird situation where this one girl comes and begins talking about, hey, these guys are from Jesus, they, they're, they're, they're proclaiming this gospel. And they begin to tell her about Jesus, and she gets saved. Little do they know, this lady who they save is, is a person who is more or less um, being trafficked out by other people for her abilities and stuff, and, and they lose their income because of it. And people get angry, and so they throw Paul and Timothy in jail because they're angry, they've lost it, they're affecting what's going on. And so we pick up where Paul and Timothy are in jail. As a matter of fact, if you go back to verse 23, it says this. It says, after they had severely flogged them, in other words, beat them, literally just mutilated them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. And receiving such order, he put them into the inner prisons and secured their feet in the stocks. This is another way of torture. So pick up with me, verse 25, and let's read what happens. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. And when the jailer woke up, he saw the doors of the prisoners standing open. He drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud, vo loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. Just, just don't. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the, Lord, the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them in the same hour of the night, washed the rooms, and right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. What an interesting and amazing story, and there's so much going on. There's a couple of nuggets that really are not part of the sermon, but I think are just fascinating things for us to look at. You have Paul and Silas who are in here, and they're in the, probably some of the worst situations they've ever been. And what are they doing in the inner prisons? They're worshiping God. Don't miss the detail. What, what was going on? The other prisoners were listening. We, we sometimes under, uh, undermine our testimonies in dark times. Can I, can I say this? Listen, God shines brightest when we're walking through the valley of shadow of death because he can be seen. It's easy to praise God when life's going good, but when life is not going well and you still see hope, you still have belief and have faith in God, there's something that an unbelieving world is desperate to find in that. And, and they're searching for it. 
It's amazing to me, even a story, God performs a miraculous act, like does an earthquake where all of a sudden they're, they're all free. They're able to miraculously escape, and, and they don't leave. They stay. Why do they stay? Because they see an opportunity here with this jailer. They see something going on. How often do we pray to God for him to relieve, to relieve us and take us away from our distress? Man, if you would just take away this hardship in my life, my life would be so much better. If you just relieve me from, just give me deliverance. And if they had ran away, listen, many of us would not have blamed them, but they stayed. Why? Because there was an opportunity. So Some of us seek so desperately for deliverance. In reality, God wants us to see an opportunity in the midst of where we're at. But, but that's not the meat of the message. The meat of the message is the story of this jailer's salvation. You, you see going on in the very beginning, they're, they're struggling. They're going uh, in here. And I want you to see the first thing when it comes to the story of the jailer's salvation is this. My first point, verse 25 through 29, is this. People are not saved by our kindness. You, you see the jailer is in here. He comes in and he wakes up. The first thing you see in verse 27 when he realizes everyone's, the chains are loose, all the doors are open, the jailer wakes up. This is a first sign of something's gone on. You see the jailer is on post, he's on work, and he's sleeping on the job. Imagine the next day when you have to go report to your captain, hey, how did they get out? Well, here's the thing. I, I stayed up late last night with the kids. I was tired and I fell asleep on the wheel. I fell asleep at the job. It says to the point that whenever he thought they were gone, he took in a sword ready to kill himself. Many of us would say, hey, bro, this is a bit extreme right here, I think, to say that maybe he might get upset. But, but a jailer who would lose his inmates in this situation would receive a capital punishment for this offense. He's more or less thinking, listen, it's a lot better to kill myself than to let them do it for me. And I believe Paul and Silas know this, and that's why they say in, and they say, listen, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't, don't do this. Like, we're all here. We're, we're all here, man. Don't worry about it. I think it's interesting all that's going on. The story had stopped right there. It had been fascinating. But salvation would not have come to this man just because of their kindness. People do not understand the testimony uh, or the gospel through just their kindness. There's a famous quote by a guy, a, a, a person named St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, that's a great uh, name right there, isn't it? But a long time ago, he said this. He says, the deeds you do may be the only sermon some person will hear today. What a great quote, right? Here's another one he says, because he really liked the, the idea of our deeds outweighing our words. He says this, another one. He says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Some of you may have heard that before, it's an amazing and powerful quote, but can I just tell you something real quick? Listen, no amount of kind deeds will ever be able to articulate the full truth of the gospel. You can love people to death, you can be kind to people to, to the degree that the world has ever seen, but that will not articulate the truth of how the gospel saves your life. No amount of your kindness will save someone. It's the truth of the gospel. Let me say it like this, listen, words without kindness... When we have just the gospel, words without kindness may never lead someone to Christ due to its harshness. But listen to this. But kindness without words can never lead someone to Christ because of its ambiguity. You have to tell people. You have to tell You can't just assume, well, they see me being nice. Surely they know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins and he loved them so much that he gave us something. Like, surely they understand this by my giving them a warm cup of coffee or coming and mowing their lawn or serving the needs. Surely they understand. Listen, no, they don't understand it. You have to tell them the truth of the gospel. I've seen this in my own life. Every Wednesday night after church, I play with a group of guys that are unchurched with a whole goal of hopefully witnessing them and trying to get them to come to church. And slowly we've made progress, and I'm excited they're hopefully going to be start coming soon. Then we're starting to make progress. But I say it's my first several years, I was scared, I was intimidated that 
I didn't want to tell them I'm a minister because I thought maybe that might kind of block the doors. They might get defensive of me or, or not talk to me. And so I didn't say anything for a long time. I kept just thinking, man, maybe my kindness might weigh out. Maybe if I'm just really nice, maybe they see how nice I am, maybe they'll take. And, and when after a while we started talking, I began to tell them that I'm a minister. They're the shock on their face. And I was like, maybe I haven't been as kind as I thought I was. I thought I was being good. But the reality is this, it wasn't about the fact that I wasn't or was or was not being kind, it's the fact that I just assumed by my kind deeds they would know that I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's, a, that's, that's an absurd assumption. The reality is it takes me opening my mouth and saying, listen, I, I, the way I am is because of what Jesus did in my life. And here's the truth of the gospel. And the question is, are you opening your mouth and speaking? Because people are not saved by our kindness. This jailer is not saved from his kindness. His situation is relieved by the kindness. But salvation comes from the truth of the gospel. Here's my application for the first point is this. Don't assume your kindness is enough. Don't, don't ever assume. Don't, don't assume, man, I've, I've been nice to them. Surely all these years they'll understand. Actually, I find it more of a barrier. The longer you go, and then eventually you'll tell them, they're like, why didn't you tell me this a long time ago? I thought you were so nice to me, but why didn't you ever connect it? The second thing I want to see in verse 30 is not only can we not assume this, but the second thing you see is this. People are confused uh, on salvation. This is after he fell down to Paul and Silas, he, he comes to me, escorting around, and what he say? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He recognized there's something. He's heard them singing the hymns of praise. He's heard them worshiping God. He realizes they have something I don't. And he asks and says, what must I do to be saved? Can I tell you something? All throughout Scripture, you see time and time again, People are confused about salvation. And it's our job to clear it up. Time to time, people come to Jesus, hey, what must I do to be saved? How do I get eternal life? What does this look like? Jesus didn't go, well, can't you tell by my kind deeds? Can't you tell how nice of a person? Like, he tells them the truth. Can I tell you statistics in our world today? Nearly three-quarters of United States adults say they believe in heaven. Three-quarters say they believe in heaven. But, but from another survey, it's found that the majority of people who describe themselves as Christians, 52%, believe that a person can gain eternal salvation by being or doing good. I understand that. 75% believe they're going to heaven, and a majority of those people believe it's because I'm doing good stuff. And, and I can I tell you, when I often talk to people, I say, well, how do you know that you're a Christian? Well, I do good things. Well, how do you know you'll go to heaven? Well, I mean, I try to go to church. I try to read my Bible. I, I try to give. I try, they start talking about all the stuff they do. Listen, those are great things, but they don't save you. It's Jesus Christ alone, what he's done. The things I do is because of what he's done, not so that I can earn what he's done. I've already received it. There, there's a huge difference. You might say, why are people so confused by sal salvation? Why do people constantly get this wrong? Why I say it like this, people can only assume what they're not told. When we don't tell them, they look at us and they assume. Like, I, I have a video I want you to show you. It's amazing, animals do the same thing. Do you know dogs will sometimes mimic us not knowing what we're doing just because we're doing it? But watch this video clip of this dog imitating their master, their, their, their leader. That dog is perfectly fine. Why is it doing it? Because that's what their owner's doing. Can, can I say, listen, if all people see in us are good deeds and religious obedience, they're going to assume and mimic what they see. 
they're going to look at us and say, well, hey, that's what it takes to be saved. I've got to be a good person. I need to be religiously obedient and do faithful stuff as Christian people do. Listen, they're missing it. We have to tell them the truth. My, my application is this. Listen, strive to eliminate the confusion. When people are walking away and they don't understand what salvation is, don't leave them in the dark and say, no, no, no keep that up. No, we have to tell them the truth. And I love this jailer comes and seeks and says, what must I do to be saved? The third thing I love, I want to see in verse 31 through 32 is this. We need to give them the answer. He asked, and I love Paul and Silas don't go, I don't know, ask my pastor. <laughs> they, they didn't say that. No, no, they came out and said, listen, this is what they do. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, real quick, he's not saying if you get saved, your household will get saved. He says this truth of the gospel is true for your household too. And if they'll come believe this, listen, that you, they may believe it too. It's for them as well. He goes on to say, it says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him about everyone uh, with his house. You might say, well, what does that mean? It means they began to tell him the whole story. Can, can I say this? Listen, you can't share what you don't know or you don't have. If you don't know the gospel, you don't have the gospel, it's hard to sh- share it. For many, our excuses, I don't know. I can't tell you how many people I talk to, and the reason we don't share the gospel is I don't know. I don't feel like I know enough. I was talking to a friend this week who listens to my sermon and critiques him for me, and, and, and he shared with this from last week. He said this. He said, most Christians know or understand more about the Bible than they will ever share. Let me say it again. Most Christians know and understand more about the Bible than they will ever share. Your excuse of not knowing enough, can I say something, is enough that led you to Christ. So why won't you share it? And, and maybe if you honestly don't know, can I just say this? Laziness is never an excuse. There's going to come a day before I stand before God and it's not say when he goes, why don't you tell him about me? Well, I just, I just never really knew it. Why don't you take the time? I, I don't know. I was playing Call of Duty instead. Sorry, I had other things that came up. Whatever it is, listen, it's not excuse. I love Paul gives a two-part answer in the simplest form possible. When he says, what must I be doing to be saved, he both answers how and what. He starts with how. He shares the means to salvation. He says this, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. What must I do? Believe and you will be saved. Can I tell you, all throughout Scripture, when I read it time and time again, there are three repeated themes that need to be part when it comes to how I'm saved. Here it is. Repent, believe, confess. Repent, believe, confess. Repent, believe, confess. It's as simple as that. And confession is a submission of my life to him. You cover those bases, you're in good territory. If you leave here today and say, like, I don't know how to lead someone, like, listen, then you haven't heard what I've just said. Repent, believe, and confess. Not only does he share how, but he shares a what. Like, what, what, it says that right there, it says that they spoke the word of the Lord. He shares the story of salvation. This is your best summarization of the Bible. And if you don't know the Bible, what's the excuse? But how can you summarize it? If someone asks you, what's this book about? If we sit here and go, I don't really know, man, what is going on with ourselves? We can summarize so many other things. If I asked you about famous movies, would you be able to summarize them? Like, here's some that you might know. Here's some Disney movies. I'm going to give you a summarization that, that I found online. I want you to see if you can tell me what movie this is. You ready? Here's the first one. When a newly crowned queen accidentally uses her power to turn things into ice to curse her home in infinite wi- winter, his sister teams up with a mountain man, his playful reindeer, and a snowman changed the weather condition. Does anybody know what movie that is? <laughs> Michael, go home. No. <laughs> Frozen. Frozen. Here's another one. A 70-year-old widower travels to Paradise Falls in his house equipped with balloons and inadvertently takes the young stowaway. Up, there it is right there. Up. Listen, that's short. 
Some of you would say, there's way more to that movie. Yeah, but you understand the synopsis from that little bit. Here, here's another one. A Colombian teenage girl has to face the frustration of being the only member of her family without magical powers. <laughs> Michael, me and you can have a conversation after. Encanto, Encanto. Last one right here. A cowboy doll. Do I need to say any more? I'll stop right there. Okay. <laughs> a cowboy doll. Listen, here's, here's my thing. You know those just from a little bit. And many of you would say there, there's much more. Yes, but, but you get the premise from just a little bit. You, you may not be able to explain everything. Well. You may not be explain how we get from Abraham to Jesus. You may not be understand how David is so symbolic in all throughout Scripture. You might not understand how Elijah and Elisha are different. Like, what's the difference with those? You might not be able to comprehend all those things, but you know the basic meaning of this book. And there's no excuse why you can't summarize it in a short, concise statement. As a matter of fact, here's a video of what the North American Mission Board is using often in their practice called the Three Circles, where they combine the two for a gospel presentation. Uh, go ahead and play that, if you will. So we live in this world, and it's characterized by brokenness. We don't have to look very hard to see. There are things like disease, disasters, wars. There's a lot of pain in this world, but this is not God's original design. God has a perfect design. And the way that we have gotten ourselves into brokenness is through something that the Bible calls sin. Sin is turning away from God's design and pursuing our own way. And that leads us to brokenness. Brokenness eventually leads us to death. And this death will separate us from God forever. But God doesn't want us to stay in brokenness. So he's made a way out. And that way is Jesus. Jesus comes and he enters into our brokenness. And the death that we deserve for pursuing brokenness, Jesus takes our place and dies on a cross. And his body is broken for us. And three days after he dies, he rose from the dead and he made a way out of brokenness. And people try many things to get out of brokenness. Things like religion, things like success or relationships, education or drugs and alcohol. But none of these things can get us out of brokenness. The only way out is Jesus. And if we turn from our sin and believe that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, we can leave brokenness and grow in a relationship with God and pursue his design. And more than that, we can go. We can be sent just like Jesus back into brokenness to help others come through him to pursue God's design. Now, there's two types of people in the world. There are people that are pursuing God's design, and there's people that are still in brokenness. We have to ask ourselves, where are we? So where do you think you are? There are so many ways to summarize it, but that, in a nutshell, covers so much of the story. There's so much more. Some of you are cringing, like, oh, there's, there is more, but it's okay. Here's the thing. You may not know the whole story, but the application is this. Share the story that you do know. I don't know all the ins and outs, but, but I do know this. And I promise you, you, you have enough, and God can use that. And so you see this where people are not saved by our kindness. People are confused by salvation. We need to give the answer. But, but the next part we have is where many of us struggle with, and we take ownership of something we shouldn't, is this. They are responsible for their response. You see in verse 33 through 40, 34, it says he took, the same, uh, he took them the same hour of the night and washed the rooms. and says right away him and his family were baptized. They chose to respond to this. It's their response. 
They can't con- control it. This story could have ended the same way where he's like, nah, I'm good. Go back to jail. And, and listen, it could have been the same. It could have ended like that. They're responsible for their, their response. Too often we try to control the response for what they're going to say. We're held accountable for sharing the gospel. We're not held accountable for the response to it. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 10 says this. Listen, 10 verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says, How then can they call on him him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. You're responsible to bring it. And I love the situation. What happens? They respond, and not only does he respond, the jailer, his whole household responds. Can can I tell you a cool statistic I heard a while back? A while back I heard that if a father will come to salvation, that they have a 93% likely chance that the rest of their family will too. The, The influence you have in that household, if you would come and do that. They're held accountable for the response. I'm held accountable for me sharing the story. My question to you is this, are you holding on to the responsibility that is rightfully yours? This summer we have started experimenting in our house with leaving our girls home alone for little stints here and there, which naturally falls where you put the oldest in charge, which is always a power struggle to watch, right? And so we've left Addie in charge at times and stuff, and there's been a few times I've left, I said, hey, listen, I want you to tell your sister, Hallie, I want her to do this. Now, now, listen, they do a good job, but imagine I come home one day, and, and I ask Addie, I'm like, hey, what's going on? She's like, I, I told Hallie, and she wouldn't do this, and she's worried she'd get in trouble because I told her sister to do something, and she didn't do it. And I said, hey, that's not your responsibility. I just need you to tell her. Who am I going to get on to? I'm going to get on to Hallie. But if I came home, and I said, hey, Addie, did you tell your sister what I told her? No, I didn't think she would do it. I didn't think she listens. So I didn't tell her. Who's going to get in trouble in my household for it? My oldest daughter. I told you to tell her. Listen, it's the same with us. God's not going to look at us when we stand before him and go, hey, listen, why didn't they respond? Listen, I, you're just, you just have to tell them. The question is, will you open your mouth and speak? My, my application is this. Don't assume responsibility that's not yours. We stress so much about their response. Man, will they accept us or will they reject it? That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is just to share it. J- just to tell them. And allow God to do his stuff. And can I tell you, statistically speaking, you're going to be rejected a lot more than not. But that's okay. Jesus told us we would. And so the whole thing we've gone through is this. Is that you need to save them by sharing the gospel. And if you stop any point before this, you cannot lead them to Christ. You have to tell them the truth of the gospel. You have to share them. And the gospel is simple. John 3.16 says it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes him shall not perish of everlasting life. Do you know what those three points say? God loves you. If you ever start from another place, you're missing it. God's got a gift for you. If you would choose to accept this, man, God gave his son, his only son for you, and God's invitation to you that whosoever believes, whosoever is anybody, God is not prejudiced on any person. Listen, it is a gift, it's an invitation for anybody. The question is, will you offer that truth and will they respond? This whole series is about how we can start being intentional missionaries. And I'm telling you right now, if you will walk through these four steps, you will see, you, you will serve, you will share, and you will save. Listen, you will see lives be transformed, and God will begin to win the circles of influence you have. What would it look like if your community started coming to Christ because you started with your neighbors? What would it look like if your work offices, the people you work with, suddenly started getting saved because you started telling about Jesus? What would it look like? What would it look like in your household? 
if your family, your relatives started getting lives changed, generations going on because of what you did. But many of us won't take that seriously. So the question is, will we? And so I'm going to ask if you do this, where you're at right now, I just want to offer a time just for you to process. I don't know what that looks like. Some people maybe need to bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe you just need to sit and think. I ask you to stay off your phone so you're not distracted and allow the Lord just to speak to you for a minute of what God's leading you to do. Some of you in the sound of my voice right now need to respond to this God. It was the first time you've ever heard the truth of this. And today's the day that you may need to come say, hey, listen, I, I need that gift of salvation you're talking about. And we're going to have elders available, myself and J.D. and his wife, and, and Pete will be up here as well. I encourage you to come and respond. We'll have others in the back. I encourage you to respond. But I want you to just take a second just to bow your heads and to reflect. And when it's time, Grant and the worship team will come and lead us in a time of worship. As you sit and reflect, I just want to pray with you for a second. Father God, stir in our hearts. God, let's be a group of people that hunger for you, that are known for you. God, I pray you'd raise up missionaries in this room to start reaching the lost. God, I pray for those in the sound of my voice that today's the first day they've ever heard the gospel and it's their opportunity to respond. I pray they would. I pray they'd hear the truth of the gospel and understand that message is for them. And if they've been trying to fix their brokenness by their good deeds, their actions, or other things in their life, God, and they come up empty-handed, there's a reason for that. It's because it's only meant to be found in you. And I pray today they'd respond to that truth. Help them understand that invitation for anybody. No matter your background, your upbringing, your skin color, your family heritage, whatever you got, God, it does not matter. Your gift is for whosoever believes. And I pray we respond to that. So, God, as we continue to time of reflection, I pray you just stir in our hearts. Call us to action. I'm going to ask you to continue to pray and just spend a second with the Lord and the band will lead us to worship in a second.
is uh, so first we'll give some criteria for him. Uh, if you have not professed faith in Jesus Christ or you're uncertain from it uh, or you have not been biblically baptized, in other words, you've not been, uh, after you prayed to receive Christ, have not been baptized by immersion, uh, then we just want you to sit and just kind of take in, let this be a witness to you. Uh, we want you just to see what's going on and realize this truth that we're about to do is for you as well. Also, if, if you're sitting in your life right now and you're just struggling with between you and God, sins or whatever it is, you just kind of refuse to deal with. And listen, we all we go through seasons like that. Uh, it would be inappropriate for us to take communion without having uh, just kind of our affairs in order with God. Or if there's someone in the room, maybe you have issues with people in the room right now, you're like, Man, I just really hate that guy or I hate this person, and I'm having trouble getting past this. Um, 
listen, God wants us to settle those disputes, those issues before we come and worship him these things. And so I just encourage you the same thing. Sit there and just allow the time of confession to the Lord, whatever you need to do. Um, but there's two symbols of our salvation we do. One is baptism. The last two weeks we got to baptize a total of five people. It's such an amazing thing to see. And more on the way from what I'm being told that will be baptized soon. But, but baptism is what we do one time after we pray to receive Christ by immersion. It's a symbol of our salvation. It represents our old life with sin. We're buried with Jesus when he died on the cross and he was buried for us. And then raised as a new creation to him. We do that once as a proclamation that we belong to publicize our faith and to identify with the church. But, but one that we continue to do, that Jesus asked us to continue to do, was communion. And it's a renewal of our commitment to God. It's saying, listen, I still believe. I'm reminded of who he is, what he's done, and I'm still committed to this. I kind of compare it to a, a wedding and your anniversaries. You would not celebrate anniversary before the wedding. It would kind of be out of whack, if that makes sense. So what we're doing is renewing today on and on again. And so if you fall into that criteria, I just want you to partake with me today what's going on. Jesus, before he was crucified, sat with the disciples the last night he'd have a meal with them. And while they're eating a meal in this upper room, as they would have every night, he and had meal food that they had every night, bread and wine is what they would have had served as a part of their meal. He takes it up and says, hey, I want to do something symbolic that won't make any sense to you, but here pretty soon it'll make a lot of sense. I want to give a new meaning to what's going on here because I'm about to provide for you in a whole different way. And he took the bread and he passed it around and says, this, this bread, I want you to see this, this represents my body. You see, pretty soon my body is going to be broken and beaten and mutilated on your behalf. Because our sins accrue a punishment and debt that we deserve, but I'm going to pay on your behalf. And we read in Scripture, that's exactly what Jesus did. He was beaten, he was rude, he was nailed to a cross, uh, all for our sins. And so we take this so we don't forget what Jesus did or take it for granted. So if you want to be reminded of that and still affirm that, would you take this with me today? After they had taken the bread that represents his body, they took a cup of wine. We have Welch's grape juice. That's all good. And he passed it around. And he says, hey, um, not only will my body be broken, but my blood will be shed on your behalf. Now, to us, that sounds like a barbaric thing in this time and culture, and it is. That Make no mistake, it's gruesome. It's, it's, it's horrifying. But the reality is not only do we have punishment, but there's also a debt that's accrued when we sin. You see, when we sin, we sin against the holy God, and no amount of our good works can ever make up for that. Someone has to pay that debt. And God chose to pay that debt through his son who died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood on our behalf, which should have been our blood, our life. And he says, I want you to take this in remembrance of me. So if that still identifies you, would you take this as remembrance? And we all that take in this room as a reminder that we... We are saved by the grace of the gospel, not by anything we've done. Any issue we have, any menial thing that we allow to separate us, listen, we cast that aside because the gospel is greater. And for those of you in this room who did not take today and you're witnessing things, listen, I want you to understand this truth is for you. Just as we said earlier in John 3, 16, for God so loved, don't miss that, God loves you, that he gave he gave his one and only son, gave the best he had so that whosoever, that whosoever is you, would believe in him. If you just come and believe, you'd come, repent, believe, and confess. Listen, you will be saved. You will have eternal life, not just a place in heaven, but a relationship with the loving God right now. And if 
If you want to receive the truth that I give, listen, we would love to walk you through that. We would love for you to be a part of that. And myself and others will be available if you want to respond to that. So would you just pray with me? Father God, I pray for those that sound my voice who are sitting on the fence. And they're feeling this tugging inside. They can't explain what they feel like. Man, I, I feel like I need that, but I don't feel like I'm good enough or I feel like God would ever love me or you don't know my past. God, whatever lie they're believing in right now, they don't understand the truth of the gospel. There's no amount of sin that you cannot overcome. There's no amount of guilt that you cannot erase. Your, your sacrifice and love conquers all. And that if we would just come and believe in you, we would come and just give ourselves to you, God, you give all back to us. And I pray that you just give whoever that is in this room right now the courage to get it out of their seat. Come talk to myself, one of the other leaders. Maybe someone they love in this room and respect and say, what do I need to do to be saved? And we begin that story. God, for the rest of this room who took communion today, who said, I already have this gift, God, help them not to leave here without the conviction that I need to tell someone else. How unloving is it to not share the truth of the gospel, to not give the gift that was given to us? And I pray that person that was on our heart, on our mind as we talked today, God, you would stir them to do that. God, use us for your glory. In Jesus, name I pray. Amen. Let's take a second and worship some more before we're dismissed.